Hello everyone, welcome again to the How Long To Beat podcast. I'm Rick and with me as always are Alex and Paula. How are we doing guys? Surviving. <laughs> Surviving. Surviving. We are survivors, we are go-getters. I wish I knew the rest of the lyrics, that could be a great bit. <laughs> anyway, this week as always we're going to be talking about what we've beaten, what we've retired, what we've been playing. We've got a topic and a question as always, they'll come up further down the line. And we're going to cap it off with the gaming sensation. How long to beat the game? What have we beaten? I haven't played, haven't beaten anything this week. So, Paula, why don't you tell us what you've beaten? Uh, oh, I finished um, Color Cross Valleys Unlimited, the the kind of a sequel or a fan to the original Color Cross Valleys. And, oh my god, it was one hell of a roller coaster. Like, um, how it's structured in a way is that, um, uh, okay, right from the menu, uh, you can start like a new adventure and then you pick up, like, uh, from one of the, uh, five best endings of, of sorts from the original game. But also, there's, um, a bit of road to it. Where things go a little bit too dark for my taste, but in a way, it was also refreshing, in a way, from a visual point, visual novel, like, point of view. Because I kind of got to know a big part of the cast that you don't really get to talk to in the original game. But, uh, these people are still quite important to the overall plot. I just don't want to spoil much here, but uh, for any fan of the original Color Cross Malice Unlimited, it's just, um, it's just awesome. <laughs> so is it, is it, is it canon? Because I remember you saying it was like a fan disc. Is it all like guide and what if stuff or is it, is it a proper continuation? Um, it is like, a, it is a proper continuation, but it has like okay. a lot of more, um, I want to say it's a lot more focused on like, um, a fun service and stuff. But also, uh, and this was something I didn't expect seeing. Like, you, you, you ever like, seen something in a game and you think like, oh, this reminds me of a puzzle. <laughs> well, it turns out that there was like this, uh, letter and it ended up being like a super complex puzzle. And I was like, okay, I saw nothing like this in the original game. I'm thinking this. And there was like, um, one other, um, instance where there was like this, uh, really, really hard puzzle. And I kind of wish that the original game, it had more of that mm. because mm. Uh, More game it was play. done in a way that you really feel smart, like, going through. You're like, you're throwing that reel out there, right? Like, oh, you want your game? I want to get a bite. I'll get one eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I want some more game in my game. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah but uh, what if it is just lent pretty well to the game? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I do feel like visual novels walk this, like, super fine line, right? Where it's like, you want more gameplay, but then you also don't want it to be gimmicky. So it's like you've got this kind of like. Uh, it sounds like this one did it really well, though, huh? Yeah, because like um, usually, like um, 
Vision Lovers, there's like, uh, I don't know, like the big time event from the original game. There are other games that have like a mini game that allow you to get points and get like extra stuff. Or you go through extra scenarios to get points to unlock the main scenarios. Mm. Um, there's like a lot of stuff like that. But like in the case of, uh, I guess what it's pretty much a murder mystery or like, uh, overall like mystery, like in Clerks Bodies, any kind of playing puzzles and stuff would have been like, it was surprisingly a pretty good fit on Unlimited. Um, nice. Well, there we go. Caller X Malice. Unlimited. Sounds like an interesting adventure. I, um, I also... If limited. What? If Un- limited. If limited. <laughs> <laughs> Rick loves the visual novels. <laughs> I love the visual novels and I love the dad jokes. It's, to be fair, before you move on, I feel like I won't find an excuse to talk about it every week, but this is a line that 13 Sentinels sort of <laughs> nails the path of. Well, it does because... You have, they're not quote-unquote visual novels, but it, it is the narrative segment, and you have the battles, and you as a player are both given complete agency as to when you when you do which, right. but there are also sort of gates where you can maybe only move to the next set of battles, which you've completed um, four people's stories halfway through, and then vice versa, you can't complete someone's story until you've beaten X wave of the battle. And so it keeps them both engaged and interesting. We'll have to do a That's that. uh, yeah. We'll have to do a how long to be uh, podcast lottery where it's like how many minutes until Rick mentions thirteen sentinels. Sweepstake <laughs> <laughs> every week. That's what you I'd be about that. <laughs> Although if we knew, that would probably. Oh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll enlist someone else in the forum. We'll hook it up. Yeah, there we go. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been rocking Game Pass the last week or so. I've just been playing. Uh, wild amount of games there and i beat the uh, outer wilds not outer no pun intended. <laughs> um, but the outer <laughs> wilds which i'll admit confused me for a long time i know it seems like an obvious thing but no it really it really did confuse me for for quite a while but outer wilds is very different from outer worlds um i don't want to spoil much so like it, okay if you don't want any spoilers whatsoever you might want to like skip a little bit but i'm only going to talk about like really minor opening like very very beginning stuff here um but the game is is it's a puzzle game really um where you're unlocking this mystery um and it, its main mechanic is and i kind of have to talk about this but you discover it within the first like 5 minutes or so of playing the game um there's a time loop mechanic um which is both excellent and deeply frustrating so the reality is that the world is persistent, right? So like every loop, the world stays the same, um, which is really fascinating. So really, there are no barriers to discovery in this game except for your knowledge of the game. Um, so as you play through it, you're simply learning about the world and how to use things that are always there from the start. So it's actually really clever game design in the sense that you're never upgrading or anything. You're simply upgrading your knowledge. Um, and so there's like a, there's a way that your knowledge is accumulated in the game. Uh, so it's not just your like own knowledge. It's like actual knowledge that you can keep track of within the game's systems. Um, so, and then you have to interpret that to figure out how to do certain things. Theoretically, that's awesome. And most of the time it is. 
Um, but there are some extremely convoluted, like point and click adventure style, almost um, solutions to some things that I, I'll admit were a little frustrating. And also because you have to like wait for the right moment. Cause again, it's on a time loop. So like sometimes a puzzle has to happen at a certain time. And so you're just like, I'm dead. Oh, I gotta go. And you, you can fly all through the, uh, this universe, which is really cool. You have a spaceship and you can fly around and you go to all these different places. Um, so, like, I really, really recommend people play this game. Like, I, I do think it's really worth playing. Um, and it's quite enjoyable. And I don't know. I see people saying, like, oh, you got to beat this without a guide, man. And I'm just like, if you have the time to beat your head against a wall for, like, 40 hours, then, yeah, don't play this game with a guide. If you want to have fun, start by playing this game without a guide. Collect as much information as humanly possible until you hit a sticking point then just look up a little hint. That's all you often need, right? So like, that's kind of what I did was like, I played it until I got to a point where I was like, I, what the heck am I supposed to do now? Um, and all I needed was like just a little line of a hint. Um, and then it was like, oh, it unlocked a bunch of other stuff. You know what I mean? And so like, I don't know, personally, that made it really, really enjoyable for me. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't recommend when people say like, oh yeah, if you don't play with a guy, you're missing out on the experience. I'm just like, don't be a snob on how to play a game. Like just enjoy the <laughs> game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, if you can do that, sweet, you know, all the power to you. But otherwise, um, try it out. Because I do think it offers a unique, um, a unique experience that not a lot of games offer um, or not a lot of games offer well. I will admit there were multiple times as I played it where I just went, wow. <laughs> um so it's one of those kind of games has anyone played it before it, tried it? i haven't played it but i have been keeping an eye on it it's one that i intended to pick up eventually on sale um it, the impression i got looking in from the outside seems to pretty well match with what you're saying which is it's a really cool concept doesn't entirely stick the landing probably could have used a better hint system and i, I feel like it's something that conventional points of click particularly either the newer ones or the old ones that have been remastered, the one that springs to mind uh, is the Broken Sword remake that they did, have nailed this thing where you've got a, a stacked hint system mm. going from the most obtuse thing that might click a synapse all the way through to basically telling you what button to press when and where and how and why. Yeah, see, that would have been nice. Because like, the reality is, like, I, and I don't want to mislead some people, like, this isn't point and click in the sense like it is a it is a first-person adventure, but it has those elements, like you're saying. And that broken sword yeah. system sounds pretty great. You know, um, I also think it has a shite map system um, because you're never going helps. to all never these helps. worlds. Yeah, you're going to all these worlds, and you can't <laughs> map the worlds, you know? You can't map them at all. So you just, like, you have to remember where everything is, which is cool and great, right? Um, but it does kind of, like, I don't know. It just gets to the point where you're like, oh, okay, thanks, I have to remember where every little step and how to get there. But it actually, what it ends up doing, and this is what I find interesting, is that it actually, in some ways, um, discourages the act of curiosity, which is its main goal. because you know that you don't have a map, so you know that you have to repeat a route that you take over and over and over again so that it is muscle memory and that you can do it without forgetting, right? So in a lot of ways, it's like you don't want to deviate because you're like, man, if I deviate for a second, I'm going to forget how to get to that thing that I have to do. So you're like, I, I just can't. I have to just go this way. Um, so that's one of my critiques. Again, though, 
I'm always critical of games. I think that's just how I I, I always land on that crit- critical side. But like, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay, so that's overall what... positive. Yes, absolutely. I was kind of thinking like, um, it sounds like the kind of game like you want to give your full attention because if you take a week of like a, a little break or go in the yachts for a couple of weeks. It sounds like going back to it would be a nightmare. Yeah, you cannot take a break from this game. You have to play this game, you have to play it through, and you have to be paying full attention. That is 100% correct, yeah. Um, which is actually a bonus to it, I have to say. Like, the fact that it's not like, oh yeah, just come whenever you want. I'm like, I kind of like that. It's like, no man, play this game. Enjoy the experience. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> You've gone fuck you, start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Uh, <laughs> nice. Why don't we keep this train rolling? Do you want to just go straight onto what you've retired, Alex, and then we'll loop back round? Sounds good. Yeah, let's talk about what um, I've retired this week. So I retired a game that's not bad at all. Um, it's just because of Game Pass, I saw SSX 2012 was on through EA uh, Play, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get tricky. <laughs> I just like, I played that game <laughs> so much when I was in college. Like I, I almost, I think I almost a hundred percent at that game, which is actually a bit of a feat because there's a lot of stuff in it and I played it like religiously. Um, and so I just popped it on and I was like, I wonder how it plays. And oh, it's still great. Um, it's totally bonkers, totally bonkers. Like you're doing these crazy things. You have like gliding glider suits and like ice picks and stuff when going down to like carve ice uh, mountains and like it's Tony Hawk if Tony Hawk was constantly downhill and going like a hundred miles per hour. Um, the sense of velocity. That is the game. Yeah, <laughs> they, the oh. Tony Hawk's downhill jump. That is a thing. Yeah, which I heard. Is Sorry, not I, I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> yeah. But see, that's that, this is the issue, right? Is that like I think um, those types of games don't always work very well. I'm going to talk more about skateboarding later, obviously. But um, snowboarding games are so excellent because mountains are nat- it's just mountains is a natural setting, right? And like it just has these natural valleys and crazy things you can do. But I don't know. In terms of, I've never experienced game a game that has such a breathtaking sense of like speed to it. Um, but also you feel like you're in control and that's really cool. I don't know. I just love it. I, I think this game splits fans because I'll admit it's stupid. It's very stupid. Um, their story mode is maybe the dumbest and like most 2000, like early 2010s you'll ever see. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, comic book style. And they're like, this is, you know, uh, I don't even know Zoe hardcore and she likes to go motocross, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> it's so dumb. Um, but it's very fun. I just retired it. Cause I was like, ah, I got my fill. I've already beaten this game like twice. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm good. Have either of you played any SSX games? Closest I've ever come was a really weird DS game called Snowboard Kids. And it was like a remake of an N64 thing. What I didn't realize going in is it was trying to be Mario Kart, but downhill. But they completely domed like the balance of the power-ups. It was just non-existent. So I, I, I don't even think I finished a full race. It was just like, nope. Especially because it, it fetches a surprisingly good price. So I think I ended up turning a small profit on it anyway. But one of those things. What about you, Paula? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I don't play many uh, well, sports what, games, but that's the one I will play. What have you played and stopped playing, Paula? What have you retired this week? Because I, I want to hear your full-throated support of my hot take. 
I don't want. I, I mean, I don't know if you want me to uh, to support you or burn and chill with you. Take your pick. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> because I retired Super Mario World, which was supposed to be like the game of the month for uh, the firms. And the thing is that I've played and completed other Super Mario games, but so, for some reason, this one just doesn't hook me up. Like, um, I actually tried to play it like for half an hour, maybe an hour. And initially, like, the controls were just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> were you playing because, it on the like, Switch? Yeah, I was playing it on the Switch, and I have to remove a, a, a couple of buttons, so so it would be like I guess easier to hold the the controller because um I was playing on the Switch Lite, and I really felt that game like the controller scheme that had the uh, on the Switch was made for a lobster or something because I had to hold it like a really uncomfortable. Mm. Um. Uh, after fixing that and giving it like another chance, I just couldn't like get into it because it was like, um, maybe I'm a little bit crazy, but I feel like, uh, the, the physics system was a little bit different from the original Super Mario and Super Mario, uh, Bros. 2. Oh, it is. I somehow felt like you had eyes on your feet all the time. So it uh, ended up making like the actual platforming really, really frustrating. I was like, okay, um, I'm not really in the mood for this. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm retiring this game. I can hear poor Tiamat crying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am sorry, Tiamat, but this game is just not for me. Like, oops, sorry, go ahead. Somebody. <laughs> what? <laughs> we all started talking to me. And I was then just, all stopped at the same time. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, um, I, look, I've picked up this game and I've started and stopped it maybe 300 times. Like, I always get past that first little section, that island, and then I'm just like, meh. Um, I have beaten it twice, but I understand what you guys are saying. Like, it, you know... I don't know. It, it just, it was revolutionary at its time, but even Nintendo themselves have outdone this game many times over at this point, you know? Oh, we're all sticking the knife in now, aren't we? Outdone Super Mario World. Oh. But I mean, that's a good um, thing, this right? Is how the... <laughs> no, no, no I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, <laughs> each in our own way, we're having a dig. Um, the interesting thing is, I've been thinking about it since I spoke about it last week, and I think I'd posited that, that maybe having played New Super Mario Bros. and gone back had coloured my view, and I think it has. But I also think, sort of touching on what you're saying, newer platformers just generally stand on the shoulders of what that game did, and it, it's just a much better starting point. Um, I'll talk about it a little bit more when we get onto what we're playing, because it sort of ties into one of those games. But um, modern platformers tend to be shorter tighter levels they're much better at getting you straight back in once you die um they're also a lot braver in terms of setting in terms of giving you more of a a brutal challenge mm -hmm. and, and just making it more engaging in my opinion 
and, and I don't think that necessarily reflects badly on the game. That's just the passage of time. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. No, you're right. That's exactly it, right? Any other thoughts, Paula, or should we move on? Um, I think we should move on be- before everyone set us on fire because of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we don't. Uh, Put down the pitchforks. <laughs> um, Put down the pitchforks. I will I will placate everybody. I've got two much less controversial retirements Hmm. this week. So the first one is uh, a launch title for the 3DS, Shinobi, which was a frustrating one. I went in cautiously optimistic because it looks really good, especially for a launch game. And while it did divide opinion, there were people who were very positive about it. Having played it and retired it inside an hour, I'm certain that those people all grew up on the original Shinobis because the design philosophies are unchanged. Mm. That that game is designed as a huge middle finger to anyone who's stupid enough to buy it on launch there. <laughs> it really is unkind. <laughs> Literally, three or four screens widths in, and you've got a um, a range keeping... I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. An enemy whose, whose thing is keeping you at distance. I see. And then tucked right behind them, just below... Um, is a, a ranged attacker who's impervious because the range having enemy is is able to block your one ranged attack. So you, you basically have to tank damage. And unless you're playing on the easiest difficulty, you have three lives over, over a multi-stage level, which could take you upwards of 30 minutes to play. And if you run out of all those lives, you're right back at the beginning. Oh. So I I tried it twice on normal. Then once on easy, beat the first level on easy, decided that I didn't want to do that to myself anymore, which was a shame because it is designed quite well. And from a, a basic moveset thing, it actually plays quite well. It's just not set up to let you use those tools in a fun way. So that was a shame. The other one, slightly less of a shame, is Mad World for the Wii. And the interesting thing, having sort of gotten the Wii back out and gone back to it, it's just how many great games there are where their biggest or, or most prominent problems are that they're on the Wii. <laughs> and not to knock the Wii, because the Wii's a great system with some great games, and it did some interesting things uh, on micro and macro levels. But this has all the tenets. There's no over-reliance on waggle to make up for the fact that you don't have buttons mm-hmm. or enough buttons. Uh, you're missing a second analog stick, so you have no camera control. I one of the things that killed the Dreamcast eight years ago, and Nintendo didn't learn from it. Um, nunchucks, I forgot, could shape. I now know because that's how your dodge was functioned. And there's a real problem, not necessarily with putting actions on shake commands. Mario Galaxy nailed it with the with the waggle spin jump thing because it wasn't necessarily timing sensitive. Mm-hmm. You can only dodge in one direction. So combine the lack of proper sort of sensitivity for the input with the very singular dodge movement with camera control that literally isn't there with enemies that don't respect the fact that you can't look anything outside of like a 100 degree FOV and it just doesn't work it, it, it becomes quite frustrating and it's a testament to the game that in spite of it I actually had quite a good time from what I played um, it nails the graphics I think I spoke a couple of weeks ago about how they, they really killed the Sin City black and white with red blood batter vibes it's got a real sense of charm about it about the way it's structured um, the way that it encourages you to to chain different violent things together and, and aim for sort of a score combo 
it's really lovingly put together and, and having played a little bit of God Hand, um, which is a, a, a former Clover game before a lot of that staff became Platinum and made, among other things, Mad World, you can really see that it's a continuation of some of those tenets, but it swaps a lot of the complexity in that combat system for uh, a style and a, a very specific um, I want to say playstyle, but I don't want to repeat the word style, but playstyle and a a focus on on bringing out what the weed does. And there are times when it nails it. Like there's a, a, a finishing move for one of the bosses where you you're doing stuff with the nunchuck and the Wiimote and then you're prompted to pull them both apart. I pulled my nunchuck out. I I'm normally quite <laughs> I'm normally quite restrained, but I meant for it. I and it, it had the ability to really pull you into it. But I got about 60% of the way through the story and it got to the point where I felt like I'd, I'd, I'd had my fill, as it were. So I'll go and seek out the, the rest of the cutscenes on YouTube eventually, but I won't feel any sorrow for not having fought through it. That's fair. Would you say it's kind of like Which a game is, that's like worth trying out? For how cheap you can get it, 100%. 100%. I don't know about America. I suspect it to be a similar situation. I paid a pound for the game. Which is like eight, 80 cents American. Yeah, Wii games are cheap I, here. Specific ones are for sure, because they sold gangbusters. To be fair, I don't know that Mad World did specifically. I think it did pretty awfully in that. When you when you juxtapose the Wii audience with Mad World's theme and setting and violent tone, is understandable. I also understand why they maybe thought maybe the dads will, will buy it and sort of buy it, or like play it when the kids are asleep. If I remember rightly, I don't think that worked out for them. But no. there are enough discs out there and enough Wii's out there that, yeah, it's just super cheap. Realistically, dads are playing the Xbox 360. Like, that's just, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the, the Wii era was the era of the Wii and the 360, um, at least in America. You heard it here first, dads play Xbox. It's just, the, it's just what it is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Should we move on to uh, what we're playing? Yeah. Uh, shall I just roll on? Should we like segue this back around? Again? Yeah, why not? Why don't you tell us? What are you playing, Rick? Sweet. So I've got five games on the go, three of which, two of which are the same as before. So I'm still playing Blasphemous mm. on PC. I think I like it a bit more than you do okay. so far, Alex. It Once I got over the fact that it isn't actually a Metrovania and it's just like a 2D action game, I found myself more and more enjoying it and enjoying the challenge, because it is quite a difficult game, even from the early sections, I've found. Um, I'm playing Bravely Default on 3DS. I can see myself... Mild spoilers for Bravely Default. There are two endings, one of which you can get around the halfway point. Paula's nodding because she's knowing the pain that I'm currently experiencing, I think. <laughs> oh you're there you're there I'm, yeah. I'm there i'm literally just there so i've I've just beaten the boss battle that, that leads into chapter five which is where there really begins so there's the true ending which requires a fuck ton of recycled content to be churned through and there's like the b ending which you can sort of cheese at any point past the halfway point really and I understand why they why they do what they do from a narrative perspective, because the narrative's been spoiled for me. My brother played it years ago. From a gameplay perspective, the narrative doesn't do enough to justify the sheer amount of bullshit that you're expected to do to get it. So 
I'm definitely going to get like the cheese ending. There's, I've got to go a bit further to get the last job, and then I'm going to get the cheese ending. Whether I then go and do the true ending, whether that's now or in like six months' time when I can stomach doing all of the game again, I will see. But that that's on the go, and it's a shame because the the core game is excellent. But but I won't I won't delve too much into that. Um, I'm still playing Control, so I'm still doing the jukebox missions on that. Um, and then two new games. The first one is. <laughs> Who are you Sorry, at? I just saw this and I was like, "What?" <laughs> but it's okay. You know what? <laughs> Rabbids go home. The Nintendo Wii stands up. The Rabbids you know games are surprisingly good, honestly. <laughs> I haven't played any of them before. This is another one where I've uh, I've, I've pilfered it from my brother's collection. It is stupid, dumb light popcorn gaming fun that sort of rhymes and that wasn't what i was aiming for but we'll go with it there's like four inputs but it knows that it's simple and it plays into the simplicity the sense of humor is lovely like right from the off you're playing as a rabbit in 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 like cargo pants in a supermarket trolley being pushed along by a rabbit in a pink lacy thong it it just doesn't have any hesitation in going there, but in a really whimsical and fun way. Uh, and the gameplay so far is quite fun as well. So I could see this being another one where I get halfway through and say, I've had enough of this. I've, I've had a good time. I don't need to finish it. I could also see myself finishing it. It's, it's a really better than it has any right to be 7 out of 10 so far. Um, yeah. I mean, it makes me think of the Mario and then, and Rabbids games. That game, those game. That game is awesome. Like Mario and Rabbids, the oh, yeah. Kingdom Battle. The XCOM. Yeah, yeah. That was one of those ones where, like, rabbits are weird, you know? Like, I always think, oh, rabbits are dumb, but then I play a rabbits game and I go, these guys are kind of actually, they're, they're kind of funny. <laughs> and I never expect yeah. to laugh at them. <laughs> they're like the Fall Guys beans. They're just so plain that you can sort of put them in anything mm-hmm. or put anything with them, mm-hmm. which, is, uh, which is a pro, or as can be seen in the case of the Minions, a really, really terrible con. Yeah, it's so funny, like, where the minions are sort of, like, too much. The rabbits seem to be, like, they, they seem to just hit that just right. Because I, I also think they're not over-marketed, yeah. which is what's really helped, mm-hmm. right? They, they're utilized where they should be, and then they're left alone. <laughs> uh, sorry, so what, what was the last one you were playing? Uh, well, the last one, and, and this ties back into the Super Mario World chatter, uh, is Super Meat Boy on the PlayStation Vita, mm-hmm. which has to be the perfect place to play that game, because it's wonderful. Um, it's basically replaced Ultimate NES Remix as my five-minute downtime game, and I love it for that. And and in terms of the contrast with with Super Mario World, getting back into that game after death took as long as maybe half of the levels of Super Meat Boy take on a successful run. And the thing with Super Meat Boy, not only is it willing to get you straight back in i mean that's advancements in technology in part but not only does it get you straight back in when it's done but it's willing by extension to push you that much harder because it knows it can get you straight back in and i've just found it a much more enjoyable experience to just keep slamming my head against that wall for whatever reason it's just a really well put together game and i'm having a blast with it so far nice nice Um... or you Paula, do you want to talk about your what you're playing next? Oh yeah, 
Um, uh, so <laughs> after retiring Super Mario, the uh, Super Mario World, I was just scrolling through the um, NSO library. Um, I saw a Picross game, Super Mario Picross, in fact, and it is addicting. Uh, so I ended up playing like an hour before going to bed after retiring, uh, the other game, uh, which got me out of my grumble grumble. Why can't I like this game? Move. I mean, it is Picross, but Picross is sort of fun and like the the whole like interface and like the kind of aesthetics they went for in the game are kind of satisfying in a way. Yeah, they've got this like chiseled like tone a stone uh tablet sort of thing where it like looks like you're chiseling out um uh and like carving a tablet to make it and like I just love that. And um Rick was yeah. laughing at us because, you know, uh, little known fact, Paul and I are like such weebs that we can read Japanese <laughs> And I just wrote down, uh, and I, I just really want to say this name because it's very fun. Mario no Super Picurosa. <laughs> that's how you say it in Japanese, <laughs> which also which is understandable verbally. But when you when you type it on a on a uh, agenda document, has me reeling. Yeah, in katakana, he's like, "What does this mean?" <laughs> um, weirdly enough, so I thought it was Super Mario Picross too, but for some reason they called it Mario's Super Picross. Which seems weird to me. Like I was like, why wouldn't you just call it Super Mario's Picross? But I guess it's 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 Mario's Super Picross, but it's just Picross. I don't know. Man, Nintendo's naming it's, systems. <laughs> it's Super Picross for the Super Nintendo. I guess so. But wait, what's the Super Famicom there? Oh yeah, yeah it, it has was. Super in the name. Yeah, it has. Yeah, Super, it's still Super. Right. Um. But also, Super it's like something. Let's be honest here too. Mario has nothing to do with this game. Like, there's there aren't even really any like Mario puzzles. Maybe they come later or something. There's not many. It's basically just Mario goes like, "Congratulations, you have solved puzzles," <laughs> and then like moves you on to the next one. It's sort of weird that way. Yep. Uh, but actually, that is a good point to note too. This is it is all in Japanese, um, which isn't a big deal um, because there's actually not that much of the interface that you need to like really pay attention to but you might not understand what mario's telling you at some point so don't bother playing the tutorial because it is fully in japanese just you know go in and have some picross fun <laughs> uh what it, what i think we're um knowing a bit of japanese and like the characters and stuff may help is because like uh, some of the early ones are uh, japanese characters mm-hmm. yeah, uh but and- but but overall, you don't really need a Japanese to do the game. Yeah, you will be confused sometimes because when you complete a puzzle, it'll tell you what it is, but it'll tell you in Japanese. So s- most of the puzzles are pretty obvious what the picture is, but there's a couple where even I was like, dude, what? <laughs> like, I had to like look at the <laughs> Japanese and like look it up and go, oh, that's what that picture is. I have a question for you both. So you might not be aware, but at the moment, all of the Picross games on the 3DS are 50% off mm. with a touch interface in English. Is there anything about Mario Super Picross, whatever, that, <laughs> that that you think makes it worth playing over a modern Picross game? I don't know if it's like worth playing. Well, actually, yeah, the interface is one of the most satisfying I've ever 
experience. It's so like chunky and beautiful and artistic. Um, I don't think it's mm-hmm. it's worth playing over it. It's just different. I also have to say, this is gonna be like a little hot take, but I, I tried playing the Pokemon Picross that, that we talked about, and I actually oh, yeah. think Picross is worse with touch controls. Um, because the the issue is that when you're using it without, you actually just hit one button to mark one as like filled in, another button to mark it as uh as an like X'd, um, and then the same buttons on those ones will like remove that mark, which is really quick and it's really easy. When you do it on the 3DS, you often have to like hold up a button or you have to switch what type of input you want to put in, and it's not intuitive. And I actually find that it's slower. And that might just be because of what I'm used to, but like you can just like when I'm on the Switch Lite and I'm going through, like I play the modern Picrosses as well. Uh, they're also on sale on the Switch. I blaze through those puzzles. Like it's just like, and that's more of like having played Picross now too much. It's just a personal thing. I would imagine if you started playing Picross on the 3DS, that's probably going to be your comfort zone. But I do think it's it's slightly easier to play on the Switch. Yeah, I feel like uh, just using the 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 buttons that like of uh of a uh, of the touch screen is not only more comfortable for me, but it's more like precise because there are pictures games that if you make a mistake, they take time away. Yeah, interesting. Okay, I I uh, tend to oh. disagree, but then I don't play nearly as much Picross as either of you. I think so. That's, That's maybe part of it. Sorry, uh, crack on, Paula. Yeah, what else, Bella? Uh, so I started playing, I hope I am not, um, murdering, uh, Fiodia, uh, Faded Memories for the Nintendo Switch, uh, one of the other articles I was playing. Uh, this one has to do with the Italian Mafia, and the setting is that, uh, you play, uh, Liliana, uh, who was raised like as an orphan in a church, and in this city ca- called Furlone, uh, there's like uh three mafia groups that rule over one uh a section of the city each, and. Uh, well, there's a lot happening behind the scenes. It seems like there's gonna be like, um, fights between the, the various groups of the mafia. I still don't know, like, I still don't have the full picture because I just, uh, went through one of the routes and then I'm currently in chapter seven of the second route. And, I was still confused on a lot on a lot of the stuff that it is happening here because like uh on this kind of visual numbers you usually go like through all separate routes and then you have like one big route that joins all the stuff together. And so far I have like maybe two of the five pieces. I'm like, what the hell is happening here? <laughs> why why am I involved in this? <laughs> <laughs> What's the gameplay like? Is there any gameplay? Uh, no, it, it is just classical, pure visual novel, though there's this fun thing where if you make certain choices, at sometimes, like, during the main story, you get, like, a little prompt that there's, like, a side, it is, a, like, maybe a 10, 
minute scene, like going like right at the same time as you're doing this other thing. And you mm -hmm. can choose like to view it. And I think if you uh view like all the different scenes, you get like I don't know, points or something like that for the main ending. Hmm. But it's like uh um pretty like an intrusive in a way. Like you can choose not to watch some of these uh scenes if you're like going through multiple walkthroughs. And uh and finally the big one. Okay, yeah, the big one. <laughs> the big one. Uh, I've been playing this for already like 20 hours. Tire Warriors Age of Calamity. Oh my god, I was so rigged, but this took all my attention because it wasn't supposed to arrive until yesterday. But it arrived like on lunch day. Uh, so I'm Friday. not angry, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, on all fairness, my, my, my desk broke and I, uh, did you have like a proper setup until uh, the other night? Mm. Uh, well, I'm so I, I, I could have plug in my <laughs> my PlayStation Four. <laughs> of course, Rick is talking about Thirteen it. Sentinels. But anyway, let's get, for those who aren't. In the loop. <laughs> um, but okay, so you've been playing it. How's the experience so far? Twenty hours, like holy smokes! Yeah, you, you've been going on it. Yeah. Uh, so far, I've currently unlocked Chapter Six. Um, I think there are like eight chapters like on the main story. Okay. And and oh my god, it has been an experience because like first of all, like um the horror games tend to be like uh just smash buttons until you win. But I feel like compared to Fireman Warriors and the Arena Hero Warriors, it has like more of a strategy to it on what to use. Hmm. Uh, because like, uh, you have like the main moveset of your warrior, but then you also have, uh, the chicas like runes, uh, which by the way, each character use them like in a different way. And those are mapped to another set of buttons. And also they have a timer on them. So you can't spam them. You have to, Use them either when you think it is the right time uh, to use it, or when, on a cool down uh, or to gain an advantage over an enemy. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you have the elemental rods, uh, and some enemies will be either weak or immune to those rods. And there are like certain situations, like for example, if you use ice or electricity over uh, over water. Uh, if you use ice, you will freeze the enemies around the uh, impact zone. And if you use electricity, you will get the chance like, to stun them and to get some extra hits. Okay, right. Uh, elemental rods have to be recharged by beating elemental enemies. Okay. Uh, but then again, since some missions, some challenge missions are timed, you have to see in which order you defeat the enemies to uh, to make it like uh, in time, hmm. and I found that to be like super fun. Um, I think seven are like the characters everyone knows there in the game. Hmm. So far, I have thirteen characters. Okay. Uh, one of each is completely optional to unlock. 
um, well, uh, one of the other was a really nice surprise because I, I was like, oh, maybe it is playable and oh my god, it is crazy. All the movesets are really crazy and are very different between each other, by the way. Uh, so depending on the time of, um, I mean, the, Depending on how you want to play, I'm sure there's something there for you. And Link has like three different movesets, uh, like with a one-handed weapon and a tilt. That is like the default. Then the two-handed weapon, mm. and it is kind of like a um, berserker slash suicidal moveset because you for to make like really strong attacks. You have to uh, sacrifice health, and I found that to be very interesting. But you can, like, eat whatever you found on the way to regain that health, but you have, like, a limited amount of time to, re to regain it. Damn, okay. Sounds and like you have hard. <laughs> I am sorry, but, it, no, no, like, no. it has been, like, super fun so far. And uh, even though some people may have some... Problems with a specific uh, part of the game. Um, I'm just really big on this. <laughs> nice. No, it's good. You're the only one of us keeping current, so that's good. <laughs> For everybody who's like, uh, who's been curious about this game, it's nice to hear about it because I know, like Rick and I both talked, we're not like big Musou yeah. fans, game fans, but this mm -hmm. is probably the one that. If it goes on sale eventually, like I, I will probably dip in to try this because I tried Fire Emblem Warriors and I was just like, eh, okay, uh, and I didn't, I didn't love it, but it does look neat. The Breath of the Wild thing, I mean, it does sell me a little, you know. Like I'm like, that is kind of cool. No, I think I'll uh, I'll swerve it irrespective. But then I haven't played Breath of the Wild properly yet, so maybe that would change my mind. You have to play Breath of the Wild, right? Wow. When you finish 13 Sentinels, I'll buy a Switch. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, it seems that I have to finish it before Christmas or something. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, now she's got it set up. Um, I'll talk now a little bit about it. what I've been playing. I, I was also, when you talked about Picross, um, like I said, I have been game passing and um, I'm playing Tell Me Why right now, which every time, every time, I've been playing this with my partner a bit. I'll be like, oh, you want to play some Tell Me Why? And just without fail, she goes, tell me why. And I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, good game. Um, the one thing I have to say, so it's um, it, it's in the vein of, you know, like Life is Strange and, and, and Telltale Games. Like it's in, it's in that vein. Um, so far, the story is intriguing. Um, a really unique setting. It's in Alaska. Um, I think so. I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything. If, if you're worried, you can like go away. One of the themes that it deals with is something that I'm actually some of the uh, thematic or like the way that the story goes are things that I'm quite um, aware of and like enmeshed in those sort of cultures, I guess you could say. Um, and so sometimes I feel like the game feels really heavy handed in its messaging. Um, but then I'm also not sure if that's actually just them trying to be clear about what's happening um, for those who maybe are not initiated into like the kind of world and um, um, and vocabulary of, the, of this sort of uh, topic. So, you know, it's that weird thing of where you're like, I'm actually not sure because maybe I'm just more well-versed and I'm not in this 
too far yet. So it feels a little like, yeah, no, I know I got it. I got the subtlety. Um, but maybe they're worried that the subtlety will actually be lost um, on people. So I'm not really sure yet. Um, I'm not super far into it. I'm only like an hour and a half maybe. Um, and I'm, I'm really not sure where the story's going, um, which is a point to it. Like I'm genuinely kind of like, where are we going with this? Um, so yeah. I'm, tell I'm, me where. Yeah, tell me where. so i am interested so far uh is what i will say um i'm also started playing mirror's edge catalyst the one after your recommendation because it's on uh, game pass and uh i really like it um Mm. even with the i'm not i'm not far at all but what i played was satisfying um it's also man i I gotta say i have the elite controller too with the paddles and oh just like having those paddles and never having to touch the face buttons is kind of incredible. Like you're just going and it's like, I could just smack to like hit punch a guy. It's just like pressing with my you know ring finger. And it's just like, it's really, really helps the fluidity of the game, um, which is awesome. The last one I want to talk about uh, is just my, Oh, I am having fun. And that's uh, I bought on sale, Tony Hawk's pro skater one and two, the remake. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, I love this game. This game is so good. Little known fact, I was a, I was a little <laughs> skater growing up. Like that was just my thing. Like me and the guys in my neighborhood, we just skateboarded all the time and like pulling tricks and Tony Hawk was like the thing. Um you didn't you didn't grow up without playing Tony Hawk. And I actually grew up starting with Tony Hawk's Underground, which is a bit controversial because that's when they started letting you get off your board and stuff, but I loved that game so much. And playing this game like i still longboard and stuff but unfortunately my days of you know pulling (laughs) popping ollies and doing kickflips and stuff are kind of long past me now um but you know i'll I'll still longboard everywhere uh, except in the winter now but this game is such an excellent example of how to remake a game because what they've done is is they've taken all the advancements all of the advancements from the tony hawk games since one and two were created and they have taken everything that is good and excellent and they have put it into one remaster of this game it is not tony hawk one and two this is not like this is not the same controls that you were used to back then i mean it is to a degree but it is the optimized controls and everything feels perfect it is not an easy game um when you start you won't feel like you're very good but honestly, every time you play it, you just feel like you're getting better and better and you're pulling off better tricks and you're learning how to ex- like use your board better and how to get up higher and how to um, pull off more complicated combos. And like genuinely, I started being like, oh, terrible. And then like after a couple days now of like playing with a few sessions, I'm just like, man, I can pull off these like sick, intense, long combos. I know how to like get up anywhere. I can like wall uh, run so nicely. It's just... It's a masterful game. It truly is a masterfully designed game. And like you have all these levels and you have two minutes to to play each level. Um, And they give you a list of goals and objectives and you can tackle them in any order you want. And you have two minutes to do it. And then when you want to retry the level, it like loads you back into it almost immediately. I just, oh, the creative skater is so much fun. It's all so good. (laughs) I just, I highly recommend it. Like, if people don't play sport games and stuff, like, I'm like, play Tony Hawk. You're going to have so much fun. It's just, yeah, it's a distillation of what makes games great. It is 100% gameplay focused. That is the sole focus of this thing. It's gameplay and a killer soundtrack, by the way. Um, it's like all... Iconic. It's iconic, it, for sure. Um, and I don't know. It's just like, when you play, I, I enter into that zen mode, you know? that like flow state with gaming where at a certain point you're just like 
whoa, and you pull off these insane moves, and then you're just like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, that's my Tony Hawk rant. Play Tony Hawk. <laughs> Uh, it tickled me how much of what you said about Tony Hawk I could apply to like my experience with Mirror's Edge. Yeah, no, it, it, it given that you said one after the other. Mm-hmm. I actually think those two have kind of a um, they have there's a there's a real big similarity actually in a lot of ways to those games. Um, yeah. So anyway, that that's what we've been playing. We went we went off, didn't we? Um, let's go to our big <laughs> topic of the week, uh, which to placate um, poor sad Rick, we're going to talk about. The death of dedicated handhelds and the rise uh, of the Switch. Like hating me. <laughs> no, that's but not quite hating. talking be. about the storied history of the mighty handheld. Exactly. Yes. Hey, doing. look, I love handhelds yeah, too. Yeah. But what I thought I'd do first, so I I did some research, and look, I'm going to put a disclaimer here. Uh, we're not gaming historians. Uh, we are enthusiasts. <laughs> uh, but I did my best. So if people are like, um, actually, uh, the Game Boy was really, you know, just let me know in the comments and I will respectfully take your opinions on this um, or your facts. I love... This sounds really sarcastic now, I realize. I've set this up terribly because I actually do like it when people like fill me in on interesting information that they know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is just to say I might make a mistake. So anyway, we, um, in a lot of the research that we've done, gaming's not very old, really. Um, it's, it's a pretty new medium. Um, and some some things like um, talk about handheld starting in like 1976, some say even earlier, but I think most people agree that 1979 is kind of like the start of handhelds um, as its own sort of thing. Um, and I found one, the MB Microvision, which is the first use of cartridges. Um, and it was really neat because it had these swappable covers. So it was kind of like, um, you know, with Atari systems where you would put an overlay onto your TV um to be like graphics um that's kind of what that was like as well um and it was obviously monochrome and that came out in 79 um which then led the way for the game and watch which i'm sure many people have heard there's that old you know anecdotal story but it was made by Gun- uh, gunpei yokoi um in 1980 and so this was kind of the rise of the lcd screen um and what I really like about this is that, like, the Game & Watch was the start of Nintendo's, and, and, and Yokoi kind of coined this term, this idea of lateral thinking with matured technologies. So he would, like, look and he'd say, like, what is current technology that we have that is cheap now to use, and how can we use it in, like, a really innovative way um, that is really fun? And so, obviously, he'd go on to do that with the Game Boy later, but... Um, he started that with uh, the Game & Watch. And the Game & Watch is also the invention of the D-pad, as we know it, um, which is pretty cool, right? They had the Donkey Kong game. And also, their Donkey Kong game uh, is really reminiscent of the DS clamshell because they actually had the two-screen system. Um, so you can you yeah. can see a lot. Like, yeah, like, Nintendo never just abandons something, right? Like, good ideas are used and then are Except reinvented. the virtual Except sorry, I'm well, stuck. Yeah. yeah, but not even really. The virtual boys in well, Luigi's yeah. Mansion Three. <laughs> it's and like, I suppose technically the 3DS when I'm not being sarky. Yeah, but, but exactly right. <laughs> they never fully abandon things. They, but unless it's terrible, um, then yeah, they will. But um, but yeah, the Game and Watch could only hold one game each, right? It was just you bought the game and that was it. Um, and then we come up to, and obviously there were many other con- uh, handhelds in between. But I think obviously the next big revolutionary moment was the Game Boy in 1989. Um, and again, that was Yokoi. Um, and that changed everything, right? I mean, at this point, you had four shades of gray or green, depending on what you had. 
Um, and there's actually, I, I want to plug this, um, this is channel that I like called modern vintage gamer. And he has a video called how graphics worked on the Nintendo game boy. And I really recommend people check that out. It's really fascinating. Look at how developers maximized the game boy, because that thing's nuts. There was not much space on that thing. And the fact that people made the games that they did with it is incredible. Um, so anyway, that's kind of like the little brief, because I think from talking Rick, Paula and I, like our experiences with handhelds, I think at the earliest start, maybe with the Game Boy Color, like that's my entry into things. Rick, yeah, you're nodding too. And I know Paula, you're a bit later. Um, yeah. But I figured we basically um, one, two, three, yeah. Yeah. Because like, I remember my brother playing like on the Game Boy, but since I was like too little at the time, he would never like let it I knew that it, it existed and that it played games at the time. Mm. Uh, I just, I just wasn't allowed to touch it because, um, probably because for a good reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got a Game Boy Color with Pokemon Red. That was like my first thing that I owned, but I was lucky because I had a family friend who actually gave me just a stack of Game Boy games that he had like it was like yoshi it was blades of steel uh like x-men um and spider-man like all a whole bunch of these game boy games and he just gave them he was like have them man um which was which was pretty awesome but then yeah so we know too like there's game boy color and then we moved to the game boy advance the ds and then the 3ds and of course we had the psp and the vita in there um and there were other consoles you know there's the sega game gear um there's a whole bunch of stuff the links, yeah, uh, Atari links, a whole bunch of things in there. But really, I think for most people, um, Nintendo has dominated the handheld world. Um, and then Sony came up for this kind of nice period of time and really like, did some did some revolutionary things in there as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mentioned I, I had a Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance SP, a DS. I think I had a DS Lite and then a 3DS and a Vita for a period of time a lot yeah it's uh before we before we sort of crack onto those things there's probably an interesting point to be made in that particularly going back to what you said about um lateral thinking with mature technology or to put it simply cool shit with cheap shit um so there's an argument to be made that what makes handheld gaming successful or unsuccessful from the game boy versus the lynxes and the game gears all the way up to the 3ds versus the vita is knowing the happy medium that you need to hit um so in terms of what what killed the links and the game gear and, and various other high-powered competitors versus the game boy because what you have to remember is even by 91 92 whenever it was that the game boy came out that tech was outdated then yeah their competitors had color screens way more pixels way more powerful um, the game boy technology links came out in 89 I was 80. Holy. Yeah, it was well, super even, early. Yeah. And, and even then, that tech was super outdated. But they nailed two things. One, they got games on there. Lots and lots of games. And, and what ties into that, number two, is that it was super cheap to develop for a Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Because, as you say, there's only so much you can do with it anyway. Not only that, but I think, like, some of the. Um... Other handhelds that had uh that came out like early and that had like these super uh beautiful or like at least like colorful colorful screens is the battery life. 
Oh yeah. They would chug like four double A's easy in like three yeah. hours. <laughs> and that, that ties into the price because if, if you as a parent know that a Game Boy costs half as much on the outset and it's probably going to use a third of the batteries over the course of its life, because those those things took four batteries, but they took them for time, then you're you're going to be more inclined to make that purchase. And that, that logic extends all the way up to the Vita. As much as I love the Vita, the Vita is arguably my favorite piece of gaming hardware. It was probably too powerful. Oh, easily. In yeah. the se- in the yeah. sense that um, it costs more. They put unnecessary expensive gizmos in there. Like you can understand with the DSi that they wanted to shove a crappy camera into it, and, and to an extent the 3DS because they had the 3D gimmick. But 2011 era Sony with smartphones being what they are should have known better to them to think that they needed two cameras on the vita i always forget the vita has two cameras oh i didn't they're not cameras. it has a front and a back there's there's a front one i have to have mine to hand there's a front one right above the face buttons Mm, you see i'm not sure on the camera and then there's another one right above the the other unnecessary piece of tech the back touchpad which is helpful for for remote play but I actively turn it off in games that use it. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's just needless expense in something that was already expensive. And because of the hardware being as powerful as it was, um, I've seen the argument made, and I think it probably holds some water alongside the memory card fiasco, that it was probably too expensive to develop on. Mm-hmm. And then you have a chicken and egg scenario where unless games are coming onto it, uh, people aren't going to take the risk to develop. And if people aren't developing, then those games aren't there and people aren't buying. And if people aren't buying, why would you make a game for it? And on and on and on. Nintendo can always, to an extent, book that trend because they're going to make games to their own system no matter what. And that's what ultimately saved the 3DS, what, along with the price cut, was Mario 3D Land, Mario Kart 7. Um, they're various first-party things that were always going to do gangbusters. I, I think you're on to something as well in the fact that like, when you even think about the popularity of the game and watch it's a game and watch and like i know sometimes we discount discount that idea but in reality the um the utility of these devices is often what makes them so successful right they have to be carryable they often require some kind of extra element to it and when you think about it like yeah sure maybe not in the game boy but think about what ended up becoming really the handheld gaming of this last 10 years and it's mobile games right suddenly Having the games on your phone, and I, I really think that took a huge, huge bite into handheld gaming, um, because suddenly, like when you think about it, I, and I never refer to it this way, but I realized I actually had another handheld device, and that was the iPod Touch. That thing was a gaming handheld, right? Like as far as yeah, I'm concerned, that- yeah. Uh, for kids, and in fact, it had things like Grand Theft Auto and stuff on it. You know, like it had games on it. Um, Man, even my iPod video. I remember playing Zuma and like stuff like that on it, you know, with the little wheel. <laughs> I love that. It's, I know it. I, I got into iPods on the touch. I, I, however, always think the mobile phone games take away from um, dedicated gaming mm-hmm. hardware argument is a little bit overblown. I, I think that's more two separate circles than it is a Venn diagram. I, th- I yeah. think if you're the kind of person that's going to buy that hardware, you were always going to buy that hardware, whether or not you can play games on your phone. I know that's true of, of me and the people in my circles. 
Oh, no, for sure. I, I, but it's not so much that I'm worried that it takes away consumers. I, I do think, though, that it bleeds away some developers. Um, I, sure. I, yeah, because when you think about it, there's the DS, which which actually could be a good thing um, because shovelware was, like, insane on the DS. <laughs> um, and those yeah. are, like, basically mobile games. <laughs> um, and then there seems to be less of that on the 3DS, though, of course, there still is, but it seems like there was less, so... Yeah, I don't know. I I think there is I think there is an intersection there in some ways, um, and I'm not sure if it's a good one. <laughs> uh, as much as I don't try to shit on mobile games too much because there are some great mobile games, um, but I don't know. I'm personally a little bit like I don't like the gotcha stuff. I just eh. uh, and when you talk about bleeding developers, that's where the money is, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, particularly for for bigger houses and and, and ones that are maybe um, more focused on on earning a living than than, than creating something artistic that's always going to be a draw um we are getting onto a completely different debate when we go yeah. down that road though um yep. <laughs> so just briefly in terms of where i started before we sort of go on to some of the the sub stuff that we wanted to talk about within it so i started i think we spoke about this the other week actually on the original game boy with uh, with wave race and super mario land uh which mario land 2 is a timeless classic to this day. Mario Land is okay, but like you can beat it in 40 minutes. Mm. It, it's not a long game by any stretch, even to a, an inexperienced child gaming set of hands and brain. But I got so much joy out of that thing. And I remember, because if, if you think, like I, I was a 90s kid, so by the time I got my hands on the Game Boy, if it came out in 89, I had it a decade after it had released. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. Um, and I, I got the Game Boy Advance more or less on launch, so you can imagine that was a mind melter. Shoulder buttons, color screen, the cartridge is a third of the size. What? And I have so much nostalgia for that machine. I've I've still got my um, original Fat Model now with a backlit screen, which I play all the time. Um, and I've got a, a Game Boy Micro as well, which when we were allowed outside was great for commutes. I uh, I played through the whole of Stuntman on the bus doing it that way, and it was perfect. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I'll always be playing handheld. It's always been my preferred way to go. Um, which, which is ironic because <laughs> given the, the way it's going, like I, I'm not on the handheld zeitgeist. I mean, yeah, but you, you two both have, have like two switches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, I mean, this is just a, this is just a quirk of the timing of everything. I I just got on a PS4, and mm. as much as the Switch is dope. You have to remember for the first year and a half or so, maybe two of the Switch's life, most of the the non-Nintendo games that, that would have been my go-to handheld stuff were still coming out on the Vita. Mm, right. Like, that's the thing. Like, East 8 is a great example. That, that came out on the Vita at, at least six months before it ever came out on the Switch. Mm. Um, so it, it's not necessarily been a desperate need. When Shin Megami Tensei Five comes out, it will be. And I'll be getting that and Box Boy and Box Girl and Astral Chain. Like I, I've already got my shopping list for when it happens. Nice. Maybe the Switch Pro will be it, but um, might be a good thing to wait for. That, yeah, well, that, this is the Rumor thing. Rumors said 2021. <laughs> wow. Rumors, yeah, say every yeah. year, but yeah, 2021 does sound pretty good. <laughs> I was going to say, I swear they've been talking about the Switch Pro before the Switch even came out. You know, there's, <laughs> there's something interesting about this. There's... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Paul. Oh, there are always, like, rumors and stuff, but I do feel like whenever the new, uh, the civil, oh, 
the sequel to Breath of the Wild uh, comes out, there's gonna be either like a Zelda themed Switch, uh, but I I strongly feel that the whatever new Switch model Nintendo has uh, in plans, it's gonna come out with a new Zelda game. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean they'd, they'd be stupid not to align it. I I also sure. think it's a I, I just I, it's a bad idea, but I mean it's fine. But like I just find that when Nintendo when Nintendo iterates on their handhelds and on their consoles, I have almost never seen it go well. Um, the Game Boy Color worked nicely because it was mostly just like this color sort of edit, but even then there weren't actually that many fully only Game Boy Color games. And when you think about the new 3DS, that was kind of a disaster. So like the games that they released for that, like they released some like exclusive, you know, new 3DS XL games did not sell well. And even the 3DS, when you think about it, is an iterative design on the DS and it definitely sold worse than the DS. Yeah, but I mean that—that's like saying the PS3 sold worse than the PS2. Like you are never going to live up to the PS2. That's lightning in the bottle. Um, I am a staunch defender of the new 3DS and its nipple. I oh, I love them, but that doesn't mean they sold well. <laughs> All right, right. Then if, if you're talking from a purely economic standpoint, that's a whole other thing. So, um, when you've got to think about the games that are exclusive, they were Fire Emblem Warriors, mm-hmm. a, a random Musou game. For a franchise Xenoblade that's not known for its for its like action combat, mm-hmm. and Xenoblade Chronicles, which had already come out on the Wii. And yeah, but in fairness, it, go on. Oh, sorry, I was say that's kind of the point, right? Is that because it doesn't end up selling well? This is where I sort of think the economics thing plays into it. They end up getting uh, like exclusives that don't actually end up contributing much. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like that kind of world, like, and that's what I always worry about. Um, is like you want to see something like the Switch, for instance, which does so well that now everyone's pouring to put their games onto it. Um, whereas with the new 3DS XL, it's like, well, what's the point? Like, I might as well just start developing for the Switch that's coming out, or like, I might as well just not uh, you utilize its power and just keep uh, it in the 3DS realm. You know what I mean? Like, eh, maybe it's not even a problem, but yeah. yeah I, I know what you're getting. Like, I just from... think it's the wrong approach. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go on. From a from a business standpoint, it might have like not make sense or not do well, but from the consumer standpoint, like the three DS the new three DS uh runs a lot of the three DS games like a lot more like more smooth mm-hmm. in a way. Like because like especially like the Pokemon games that came out like uh near the and of, of the life of 3DS. Oh my god, I can't speak. Pronounce, while I pronounce. Um, so like, for example, uh, Pokemon X and Y that were like big, uh, sellers on the 3DS had things like horror battles, like, uh, five Pokemon show up on the screen and that really slowed the 3DS down. Yeah. But like in Pokemon Sun and Moon, it happened that the poor 3DS was running on films, pretty much. Uh, because, like, they were trying to push the system a little bit, like, yeah. uh, which may just makes me salty because Pokemon Star and Chill doesn't hold the switch as much, but that's uh, another topic for another day. But honestly, like, but... I agree with you guys. Um, it just makes me sad. I'm just so scared of a Wii U situation. That's literally, I'm just terrified. <laughs> I mean that that that's if you think the Wii U is an iteration on the Wii, though, because that, I think that that was a failure of them selling, and we may have a problem with Paula in a moment. 
because the, the Wii U wasn't an iteration. It was a new thing that happened to have backwards compatibility and they just screwed up the marketing. I think it's better to consider it like the PS4 Pro, where it's not supposed to replace and it's not supposed to have this wave of exclusives that are going to make the poor people who bought it the first time around buy it again. It has a couple of nice things extra. It does some things better, particularly performance and the 3D that doesn't require you to have everything in a brace to like keep it stable. No, no, no. But does that sound like... Oh, sorry. Does that sound like Nintendo to you, though? Like, Nintendo doesn't take a Sony approach. I This is this is what I mean, though. I agree with you. I think, like, that approach where you're like, no, it's just a nice kind of upgrade is awesome, but it's just never how they market their things. They're always like, play this with the exclusive new Nintendo 3DS, and I'm worried they're going to have Switch Pro where they're like, play this, the only place to play Breath of the Wild. Too. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't think they'll do that. They'd be crazy, but, I just, it, but that's just, it's Nintendo. Like, they think outside of the box sometimes in good and also baffling ways. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is why the patient gamer strat is the way to go no i agree with you yeah. you're right <laughs> um, as always i also wanted to mention <laughs> so like i know like it is sort of interesting because yeah when the switch came up that was it right like dedicated handhelds are poof vanished um which i think it's interesting because like and and i'd have to check to see like the sort of stats on this obviously they're doing better than with the wii u and the 3ds sales but when you think about it nintendo had two streams of of revenue right they had their home consoles and they had their handhelds and like think about the wii ds era oh my god right like that was talk about racking in not that it's all about money but you know you always want to see these companies doing successfully so that you know more games can come out and now i wonder they've consolidated those markets right um and so what i'm actually curious about now is like they have such good sales on the switch, but I'm wondering what that's like in relation to their other years. Um, because now is it a question of like, yeah, they're doing great on the switch, but they also don't have that guy who like I did had a Wii and a DS. Now I just have their switch. Um, then again, and maybe, a switch light. But yeah, maybe I'm invalidating my argument because I bought a switch light too. Yep. <laughs> but this I'm, is the thing. And they only had to develop one set of games yeah. because it's the same architecture. Yeah. But it does so. make me wonder too, though. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I, I am curious, like, uh, what that's going to mean for the future. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, I don't think from the proper, quote-unquote proper, like from the big hardware manufacturers, I don't think dedicated handhelds purely are ever coming back. I think the Switch is, um, has consigned those to, to a deathbed. In combination, in fairness, with uh, various remote play initiatives, yeah. Xbox are quite keen for you to take a controller around with your phone and play it that way. Ditto, PlayStation and, and um, whatever their equivalent service is called. The wrinkle there is a controller is much more bulky and awkward to carry mm -hmm. than not necessarily a Switch. That really is stretching the definition of handheld. But um, but certainly of a Vita or a DS or a Game Boy or a PSP. Yeah. So it that that's tricky. Um, but, and, and we've got this in the show notes, so let's segue it through. There is a, a niche um, Eastern market sort of rising up to fill that need. Yeah, China has So been... why don't you... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll pop into this because I've ordered a Retroid Pocket 2, which is in <laughs> shipment limbo right now. Although I might have it by next week. Apparently it's arrived in Canada. I ordered this at the beginning of September. Uh, and to put it this way, I got my Xbox before I got my <laughs> Retroid. <laughs> um, but what's interesting now is that so we've always known like China has always put out handhelds where like literally all the ROMs you ever wanted are already on it because China has like 
the craziest laws when it comes to copyright and stuff. They're just like, we don't care. Um, uh, but usually, I'll be honest, the construction of these things is usually sort of flimsy at best. But there's been this recent um, sort of push to create more almost Nintendo-like systems um, that have an excellent feel to them and a good a good um, build. And Retroid is one of those uh, companies that's really pushing them. And they're filling this interesting market because, and like Rick's made a comment here too about how like the Vita in general is like better for emulation. And, and I'd agree. I'd almost call the Vita like the Cadillac of emulation. But the... Yeah right the retroids and stuff are filling this like 80 dollar um price range which is like pretty cheap and then also allows you to emulate pretty much everything from the n64 back um and so and ps1 um a little bit of dreamcast and so like that sort of era of gaming has developed into these affordable handhelds that feel quite good um and so it's i don't know it's kind of interesting like i sort of fell for it because i was like Hmm, I do want to play PS1 games while sitting on my couch and just staring up at the TV. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, the, the the wrinkle is that my argument that the Vita and PSP are a better prospect than the Retroids, which, which I stand by as we as we sit today. They're much more widely available. The support's going to be wider as a result. The build quality is infinitely better because it's it's a reputable company making tens of millions of these things. In five years' time, you're not going to be able to get your hands on a on a Vita, much less a PSP, yeah. whose battery hasn't been a, a um, violet berry garden balloon. <laughs> so, in in five years' time, they are going to be your only option, and and so you you'd better hope that the build quality gets better. And to be fair, some of them do look really compelling for the hardware in them. And hey, in five years' time, like modern phones can emulate PS2. Yeah, that. That's the thing that I haven't dabbled with it on my phone, but my phone's chipset conceivably could run PS2 games. So in a couple of years, that text bound to filter in. And if you can imagine playing, you know, God Hand or, or Vice City or Eco or, or, you know, one of those, I mean, I, I hate Eco, but like I'm, <laughs> I'm reaching for the, know, I'm reaching for the mean, classic, yeah. like, one of those big games, like you say, curled up on your couch to have that experience that way uh, without having to faff around with streaming from a computer or, or, or one of the other more convoluted ways of doing it. That is really compelling. And I suppose that what then becomes super interesting is do people want to play handheld to relive their old games yeah. or do they want to play handheld to get like new experiences that, are maybe a little bit below what they might get from a, a console release. But because it's a smaller budget, they're often much more willing to experiment. Yes, I think it's kind of both. You know what I will say? Uh, Probably. I think in a number of years, the Switch Lite is going to turn into the homebrew and emulation master. It's going to become very yeah. fun. Any, do you want to give any last words on this topic, Paula? Uh, my overall opinion, like, uh, with the dedicated handheld, is that uh it is faded out but uh concepts like the suites are here to stay um i think like all these like knockoffs that chinese uh little cargoes uh, as you said they're getting better and better because like um a couple of youtubers that i follow one of them is well mainly beat them up so always like buys weird stuff uh like he just tested out like a, a number of like knockoff handhelds mm. 
uh, some of them have like horrible audio and stuff like that, but there was a particular one that it seems to be like pretty good in, in general. So, um, at the very least, um, kind of glad that they are leaving like the <laughs> PS Vita like face uh, behind. Uh, because they, uh, they, they, they used to make like a lot of PSP or Vita and that kind of made it a little bit of a pain to actually get uh, a PS Vita here, like on the second hair bucket. But that's another story from the time. Oh, I see. It's not going to get any easier either. <laughs> yeah, be, uh, because like they, they advertise it like under the PSP or PS Vita name, but. The, you you look at the picture. It's like that is that is not a thing. Yeah, that is yeah. not the thing I, I want to buy, <laughs> sir. Oh, jeez, yeah. I never. My thought of my that. favorites. The um, I'm sure you have both seen it. The one where it's like a Vita shape, but either side is red and blue, as though they were Switch Joy Cons. Yeah. Obviously they don't separate, and it, it's just like a really really crummy chip set um, on the inside, and it like plays three Nesrons. Yeah. Like, like really, really, really weird stuff. Uh, but I don't think like uh, we're gonna be in a time that there's not, at the very least, like some kind of switch model or something that you can take on the go somehow. Mm-hmm. Especially like from Nintendo, because like Nintendo being a Japanese company, they're capitalizing like on the like Japanese style. Uh, in the sense that in Japan, a lot of people just play like portable. Yeah. And I feel Nintendo is like tackling that market in particular because like, uh, mobile phones, yeah, they can play games and stuff, but, uh, there are either people that don't want to have a super expensive mobile phone or on the others, side there's people like me who just can't get used to playing on a mobile device without like actual buttons to press because like uh there's something weird about the that the about playing like only with attachment in my opinion i agree um thank you Paul. well there you have it folks um there's our 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 take on the death of dedicated handhelds and the rise ah. of the switch and the existence and continuation of handhelds forever. That's more like it. <laughs> See, there you go. But I agree with you all. Um, so why don't we move on to our question? Uh, we'll go through this pretty quick here. Um, from darn it, I have to say the name of a forum user out loud again. Yuvej? Um Yuve. <laughs> Yuve? Oh, nice. Yuve. I need I need you no, to say Uve. Uve. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and they ask. How do you organize your physical and digital libraries? <laughs> I'm super quick. Digitally, I just straight up don't. Um, <laughs> phys- physically, it's by platform and then alphabetically. There you go. What about you, Paula? Okay, uh, I am going to go like a little bit like in depth with this one because um kind of a maniac when it comes to organizing stuff like this. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, and the digital side, like on Steam, just like, uh, I separate the games, like, in categories. Like, uh, okay, those are puzzles, those are, um, visionals, stuff like that. On the physical side, oh my god. Because, like, I have, like, uh, shelves arranged, like, by, 
uh, I have like my PlayStation stuff where I have like the the Vita PS4 um, PSP or they're alphabetically. Then I have the, the DS and 3DS stuff. Uh, I pretty much put together whatever feels right. Then we have the Wii U, Wii and Switch stuff, and then I go alphabetically again. And then there's the special shelf where I put like everything Otome. Nice. And I have a separate space only for code realize. <laughs> wow, that's awesome! Just your own code realize section. <laughs> yeah, uh, because I like the little collectibles that come with some of the special editions, and also because I have more copies of that game that I should. Mm. I have all, all the physical releases. Amazing, amazing. Uh, so yeah, that's how I organize my library. Nice. I'm I'm a little bit like Rick. Like my digital organization is just terrible. Although I have noticed. I like the, uh, my Vita was my favorite, actually. I organized my Vita's uh, digital games beautifully. They had, yeah, those little bubbles. They were so great. I could, like, label them all. Um, I loved that. Um, then you've got, like, the 3DS, which is a nightmare. It's just, like, all these <laughs> blocks all over the place. And I'm just like, ah, games! Um, and, like, my PS4, too, is a nightmare. And, like, my, my I have to say, I do very much enjoy um, the series x's way that they're that their games are displayed because they'll tell you like what's a game pass game and what's not and stuff and so their little title cards are like really um they're really nice and they'll say like what's optimized and what isn't and so i've really enjoyed that um but yeah in general when it comes to digital it's just a free for all um and i tend to use how long to beat actually <laughs> oh uh, shameless plug <laughs> yeah right for the site i i tend to use that to actually organize my digital games so like i have my mm. backlog which is games i tend to play and those are mostly all um, like actually owned games and mostly physical, some digital. Um, and then I also have like a digital list, which is just like the list of all of these games, emulation, um, maybe bought ones that are just kind of there. And it's like sort of a backlog, but more of like a, oh, I don't know, let's try this game today kind of thing. Um, and a game pass section. So like I do that there physically. I'm alphabetical all the way. I love that. Um, Gotta be. That's for my console games. I, I will admit for my like DS games and 3DS games, all the cases are like stored, um, and I just have them in a carrying case because I find that is just a bit easier, um, and so they're all slotted in into like those little, little pouches that I can look at them. Um, and then also, the collector in you is screaming. Yeah. Hmm? <laughs> the collector in you is screaming. Yeah, but my my cases are all <laughs> they're all like really stored nicely and safely, so that I prefer because then my cases don't get dinged. Okay. <laughs> right? I'm not one of those monsters who throws up the case. I don't know who does that. Rick's um, <laughs> <No. laughs> like, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kid. I would never. I yeah. would never. But, um, anyway. Are you sure? Yeah. That's me. They're on a shelf, too. But um, I have, like, over 160 games that are um, in storage right now that I... But they're back in New Brunswick, which is, like, my home province. Um, and I'm not there anymore. So I want to get them eventually now that I have a Series X and start playing again. But... Yeah, that's me. That's me. Um, shall we move on to everyone's favorite game? Speaking of how long to beat. How long to beat. I think it it's, is I think it's to beat. my turn to do the little uh, yeah. fun time. So get ready, everybody. And, ah, oh, this is great. Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch. Oh, shit. That's the first one, right? That's the first one, yeah. 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 Mm-mm-mm. That is the first one. What do we think? Who's got one? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm trying to 
thing because I actually played a little bit of the game. I've beaten this game. I love this game and I have no idea. <laughs> I remember looking at up uh, looking up the times. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember the times now. I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna say okay. I'm gonna say twenty seven hours for me. I'm gonna say thirty one for main plus. <laughs> and I'm gonna say okay. I'm gonna say something like um fifty five for completionist. Okay. I think I'm on the low end, to be honest, but that's what I'm comfortable with. Because I, I, I do think this one is a little shorter than the second one, I think. Um but God, it's hard to remember. What about you, Paul? I can remember because I, I remember looking like at the menus and stuff as I was playing, and there are like a lot of stuff like unlockables. Hmm. So I'm not sure I'm confident enough to do a one hundred percent guess. But for the main story, uh, I'm gonna stick with I think twenty eight hours for the main story. No, 30. 30 for the main story. Okay. 37 Um. for main plus. And 60 for 100%. 60, okay. I am sure somewhere there I have all my times wrong. Quite possibly. Right, I'm going to be slightly more reserved. So I'm going to say main 28 hours. I'm going to say main plus 42 hours. Because I think that's going to be a bit more flexy. And I'm just going to skip 100% because I would just be firing completely blind. I know. I so, honestly went for the 100 just so I could get that five-hour thing. That's my, that's my bet. All right, I are you ready? It. Yeah. Ready? Um, Paula, can, I cha- main... Sorry, can I change my main oh. plus to 35? I feel more confident in 35. 35, okay. okay. Feeling like you shot it a little bit short based on everybody so. else. Yeah, all right. Nice. <laughs> so without further ado... Here we go. Don't click that button, Alex. All right, she loading. Here we go. We have. Oh my lord. We have main story, forty-five hours. Oh. Yeah. Main plus extras, fifty-six and a half hours. Completionist, ninety-two and a half hours. Oh, we were very short. We were all very short. Horribly wrong. Because I, I was about to say something like that, but when you said, Oh, I played it and started like shooting super low, I was like, Okay, I'm not so confident. <laughs> you it's your fault she got it wrong, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's all, all my you. fault. Uh, darn it. Well, no. another week, another failure for us all. Um, <laughs> but thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back again next week. On so that long. depressing note, until then. <laughs> yeah. Until then. <laughs> See you later. Bye.